the biggest thing for me when it comes to thinking about decolonization is when educators or or non-native people talk about us, you know, talk about us like we're here today. You know, a lot of the time it's the native people used to do this. The native people used to live like this. And yeah, that's true. That's in regards to our ancestors and maybe our elders generation, but look at the good and all of the things that's going on for us today. You know, we're contemporary. We make beadwork, but we also might do different types of art. You know, there's native poets, there's doctors, lawyers, you know, we do everything that everybody else does, you know, and hopefully not only can we acknowledge native people today, but also create a space to talk about native people in the future. Today's episode of Burn the Wagon. I speak with Rose Hammock about jewelry making, what does decolonize mean to her, and the MMIW movement. How are you doing today? Good. Nice, nice. Thank you again for joining me. I really appreciate it. I love your art and I love everything you do. So I'm I'm super excited for you to have you on right now. So yeah, I'm excited right now. Okay, so first I like to just go ahead and give you like you an intro, um, where you're from and your background and the tribes that you are from and um, if you grew up on a reservation or not. And if not, it doesn't matter. I just like to get that out there and let people know where you're from. My name is Rose Hammock. I live here in Santa Rosa, uh, born and raised. I'm enrolled with Round Valley. That's where my great grandma comes from. Um, but my family comes from Big Valley and we're intermarried with a couple other tribes from here. So we're, we're Pomo and Wailaki from Round Valley. And um, I was doing our family tree. I was doing research and I found out that we have Maidu ancestry as well, probably three or four generations back from my grandpa. And then my dad's mom, my grandma is from a tribe up in Oregon. Um, so that's kind of like our mixture from here. And then from my mom's people, um, our family comes from Masatlan in Mexico and Managua and Acoyapa in Nicaragua. Wow. And I that comes from my mom's mom and her birth dad. So oh. kinda a mixture of a little bit of everything. Yeah, that's, that's um, a cool so, mixture. Yeah. <laughs> and um did you grow up in Round Valley or or in, in just mainly Sonoma County? Just Sonoma County. Always lived in Santa Rosa. I've always lived close to the Roseland School District. Um, I went to Bellevue Elementary, then I went to Cook Middle School, then I went to Elsie Allen High School, and then I stayed close for college. I went to the Santa Rosa Junior College. Okay, that's cool. That's a question I was going to ask, actually, about Elsie Allen High School, because she was an amazing basket maker, right? Yes, one of the most so intricate and just very fine details. To me, one of the best weavers that we had. You know, there's a lot of Things like our basket weaving, I think a lot of people think are just kind of gone and have disappeared, but we still have a lot of women out there and we have men too that still basket weave, you know, that's a part of the culture that we're still able to hold on to. And sometimes I think because, you know, we're in more of a modern time, 
Um, I know a lot of the youth, they get distracted by things like TikTok and all that stuff. But, you know, there's a lot of um, a lot of opportunities for us to use those kind of tools also to keep the culture going. So we have events now where, you know, we could tape someone through Zoom doing basket weaving and keep that in like archives. You know, people who speak the language, recording them, telling stories or just asking questions and sitting with elders from different places, you know. I think for anyone out there who's not familiar, there's a lot of excellent books and there's even videos you can find on YouTube that teach you more about who Elsie Allen was. But Elsie Allen, uh, Mabel McKay are just a few really more well-known basket weavers. Um, but we have a lot of basket weavers that come from Lake and Mendocino County too. But um, Mabel McKay and Elsie Allen are... Um, two basket weavers that their people come from Sonoma County area. Okay. My mom yeah. started uh, basket weaving. So she's making me a basket right now, actually. And she does, nice. she does like, uh, she goes a little small ones, you know, but I love them, you know, it's cool. And uh, I, yeah. I'm pretty sure she goes out and picks some stuff. I can't remember what it is that she picks for the basket, but she definitely goes yeah. there and gets the stuff. And it's amazing to see what she, her end product is, you know? Yeah. Yeah. We can't just go to a Walmart or a, a, michael's craft store and get our weaving materials yeah <laughs> we have to learn how to how to have that relationship with the plants to go and gather them again yeah definitely that's amazing and I, I like you said on tiktok and stuff i see a lot of that stuff trying to come back and a lot of people trying to educate and have a voice to be out there you know and i, I love it I, and that's like i kind of get stuck in the native tiktok sometimes but yeah and so let's, let's now we're speaking about art and um, jewelry and stuff i want to ask you about your art and what got you into making and 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 your process and stuff like that uh what do you go through what places do you get your stuff from i mean like do you go out and pick and stuff like that um yeah if you want to really reveal those secrets but if not nothing yeah. yeah oh yeah um for me i grew up watching my grandpa do a lot of bead work he mostly worked with seed beads and he did um a technique of beading called peyote stitch or peyote stitch which if you're weaving and beating around something that is like a hair stick, for example. This is one, it's just like a skewer. Uh -huh. And then the end, I wrap it in leather. Okay. And so when you're done with it, you get something like this. Wow. Um, so this is one I just recently finished. Um, this one's much shorter. So that, that technique is um, this part right here. You start with uh, just one uh, row all the way around. And then... Once you start that row, it's just one bead at a time until you're finished. There are a lot quicker techniques. Uh, I don't know the right term for it. I think it's called wrap stitch. Uh -huh. um, but I, I notice a lot of the more Powell style beadwork I see, you know, they'll wrap their, usually their necklace, like a rope necklace, and they'll wrap it for two to three inches. And then they go back and like tack it down. I'm not familiar with that stitch, but when I do my hair sticks, I do peyote stitch or peyote stitch. So I watched my grandpa do that a lot when I was little, but I didn't really get into beadwork um, until probably a little over three years ago. My mom had passed away and I kind of needed a, a good outlet to kind of find some healing through that. And I decided to go to my dad who does beadwork and just ask him to teach me a few things here and there. So he taught me how to do earrings. So I started doing 
just like basic style earrings just that hang down and just kind of practiced and practiced and then I started to pick up using different colors using different materials I do more like a mixture of traditional materials and more contemporary materials so um, like a pair of earrings like Uh this the abalone is there and then the pine nuts I I do go out and pick myself and then um, the bottom is just like a kind of like a little trinket type uh, probably picked it up from a Michaels somewhere so I like to be able to use the beads but also use traditional materials once in a while I will work with clamshells as well but not so much for um, like stuff for sale and then sometimes um, I just went up to Reading mm-hmm. for uh, a bear dance ceremony and they have a really good bead store up there called the Bead Man. And they sell these um, like triangle shaped beads. Wow. And so I put it with some uh, abalone I had and then another one of the little trinkets at the bottom. Those are cool. So I just like to, to kind of play with different designs, use different materials. And then sometimes I just like to do plain stuff with just the abalone because it's got a good shine to it. Yep. And I don't know, something about the shells reminds me of just all of our, our coast people, our coast relatives. And I go to to our roundhouse ceremonies. And so I like to make stuff, too, just for, like, family. You know, if I know that I'm going to be able to see an elder I haven't seen in a while, especially with COVID. Um, a lot of our elders didn't go to ceremony and still aren't going to ceremony. So just seeing them once in a while and gifting them something is, is something I like to do. It, it feels special to be able to make something that with a skill that I've been able to learn from my dad and my grandpa. And I don't know, it's it uh, to me, it feels meaningful to be able to make something with my hands and then give it to an elder, and just kind of show them my love and appreciation for them. Absolutely. And the, the things you make are beautiful. And the time it takes to put into those, you know, you know, there is love in there because you can see it mm-hmm. in your artwork. You know what I mean? And, and I love it. You know, I love sharing your stuff. I love seeing your stuff. My, I definitely Thank hope you. to see more. Yeah, because it's in only three years, you, man, that your artwork is amazing. Thank you. And, and it's like you said, it's it's going from your dad or your grandpa to your dad to you. So it's at, at some point, yeah. I believe you, it was destined for you to definitely start making jewelry. And, you know, um, and it's amazing. In the, in the only three years, I, I it's crazy to see the pro, the progress you know, you've made, you know. Yeah. And every year, you know, we're learning new skills or we're learning how to work with different materials. I would say besides working with the abalone, I think like venturing into using different colors and different patterns as well. So something like these ones, you know, it's just using two colors, you know, the white, and then these are uh, called bugle beads. Uh They're long beads that kind of twist around and it's kind of hard to see on the camera, but they're kind of like a light purple color. So I used to just know how to work with like white and black and maybe a little bit of color, but now I'm starting to get more comfortable using different colors. So using like three different shades of blue and making something really long versus just doing something short and simple. So it kind of goes back to, um, for me, watching a lot of the young girls when they dance. A lot of our women, we wear all types of different dresses and skirts when we dance. And so I always pay attention to 
the ribbons on their dress or if there's different colors in their dress, it gives me inspiration. Wow. Um, when I was making these ones, um, I was thinking of the ocean. And when I was at the ocean, I actually, not from our people, but I had seen a woman in a, a traditional dress. And I went up and I introduced myself and I was like, I love your dress. It's beautiful. Do you mind if I ask, you know, who your people are, where your people come from? Um, and she said that she was Hoopa, um, which is up north from us. So her her dress was like a shiny blue color. And it kind of gave me that inspiration to use the different blues. And then also, you know, we see the blue in the water at the ocean. I think for um, a lot of the times when I work with more traditional material, like the pine nuts, you know, there's different ways to process it. You can cook pine nuts and they can turn black. I was taught that you cook them outside because they get kind of stinky. Uh-huh. You don't want that smell to stay up in the house. And so um, you can cook them in just, just a little bit of oil and they get a really dark skin on them. And you can sand some of it off or you can just leave them like that. A lot of the abalone that I get, I get from a place called Shipwreck Beads, which I believe is up in Washington. Uh-huh. Uh, they have a really good website. You can order abalone that's already cut, which for me, I'm not that experienced working with abalone quite yet so for me that's a good option for me just to it's easier for me to work with but it's also a good opportunity for me to support other native businesses and other native artists and there's some of us too that still use trade so you know someone wants a hair stick Uh which I don't I personally don't charge a whole lot for my beadwork I'm still new and learning about it And so if I have, you know, beadwork done and someone has something that I don't have, like maybe, you know, they have a strand of the abalone that's already cut and polished and maybe just needs some holes drilled in it, we'll trade each other instead of doing it for payment. And so for some of us, you know, that's a good opportunity to help one another in our craft that we do. But it's also just a good way to support what they are doing. And to acknowledge that, you know, this is what I made with those things, but um, I supported that person and what they were making. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. That's so awesome that you're you're bringing back that trade aspect of things, you know, because we shouldn't put a, a, a dollar on everything because I love that trade aspect of things. It takes it back to a long time ago, you know, um, to traditional. Yeah. Like, and it kind of leads me into my next question to like decolonizing and, and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And I kind of wanted to ask you, what what does decolonize or land bag mean to you? I think, you know, when we look at, well, not mainstream media so much as how we see it in Native community, we kind of have our own stream of media where we see, you know, other people in the Native community putting things like land back. I don't know if people out there have seen reservation dogs, but even in there, they have, you know, land back graffitied on different places because that's a real thing. There's a lot of tribes doing really hard work trying to get land back for their people. I think for certain tribes, especially like around the Bay Area, most people don't even know that they're there because when they think Bay Area, it's just, you know, oh, the stores or malls and different things like that. But every land that we stand on is native land. And 
there's native or indigenous people everywhere we go, I think it's important that we take the time to try and research where we're where we're traveling or where we live because we have to give respect to those people that were there. And the biggest thing for me when it comes to thinking about decolonization is when educators or or non-native people talk about us, you know, talk about us like we're here today. You know, a lot of the time it's the native people used to do this. Yeah. The native people used to live like this. And yeah, that's true. You know, that that's in regards to, you know, our, our ancestors and maybe our elders generation, but look at the good and all of the things that's going on for us today. You know, we're contemporary, you know, we, we make beadwork, but we also might do different types of art. You know, there's native poets, there's doctors, lawyers, you know, we do everything that everybody else does, you know, and hopefully, you know, not only can we acknowledge native people today, but also create a space to talk about native people in the future. I think it's important to invest all of the things that we do now with our young people in mind for when they're older, because I feel that for me, I've always had people in the community uplifting me in what I do. And that's what I strive to do for the younger generation, either people a little younger than me or, you know, down to the kids, because I know that when I'm an elder, you know, these are things I hope that they'll take into consideration, want to learn, even just let's go for a walk at the park and then turn it into gathering something or pointing out plants. It's just introducing those things that our old ones did with our parents or grandparents. And so it's kind of like them passing that knowledge to us. And we have that obligation to do the same for the younger people. So I think it comes to the same thing as land back. You know, when we think about fighting for water rights or fighting for having tribal land back for just to have it or to build housing or to invest in something for for the tribe or just for the people. Yeah. I think it's important to include everybody, include everybody's voices and to make sure that, you know, those people who are quote unquote in power really understand, you know, all of our voices matter. And there's so much uh support out there. And there's so much money that is out there that can help support local tribes that are trying to get land back. And I think that is a good way that non-Native people can be allies is to help support that land back movement to help a lot of our tribal people get their land back. You know, it was taken from us and it's long overdue for it to be returned. And there's a lot of ways that people can support that, whether they're Native or non-Native. It's not just a it's not just a us problem, yeah. you know, it's, it takes everybody's help and support to make these things happen. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. And up in Point Arena, they just bought some land that had some houses on it and stuff. And I believe when people move into those houses, they'll be paying rent to the tribe. So that's an amazing investment, like you said, in investing in, in, in land that has structures on it that eventually will go into income for some something for the tribe you know so they have something yeah. other than just a casino they and now they bought another plot of land that has a house on it with other stuff so it's it's amazing to see those things happening you know because 
they're thinking, yeah. like you said, they're thinking for the future and they're thinking towards getting more things possible. For, and then the, I think they're talking about more houses as well. So people can live up in Puerto Rico, you know, because um, the pandemic really messed with people. So they they didn't have jobs and they don't have anywhere to go because they didn't live on the res. Um, and they saw that and the list is really long for housing a, a lot of the times on the reses. So it's like really hard. So I think those things are awesome to hear those things happening. And to hear yeah. people like you out there fighting for land back and fighting for those voices. But like you said, it, it doesn't need to be just us. It needs to be allies as well out there pushing the, the, the issue, you know, that we need, we need our voices heard and we need it. Like you said, it's way past due time for get this land back into decolonize. Mm -hmm. um, so that leads me to my next question, which is, Coming up, and that's going to be, do you and your family gather during Thanksgiving time? Or do you do, you know, do you guys do anything during Thanksgiving? Um, I know there are a few movements in the last, like, three or four years over in different parts of the Bay, um, parts of Oakland, parts of San Francisco that have gatherings called un-Thanksgiving, or they call it Thanksgiving. Yeah. Um, for me, I don't really celebrate as far as like oh here's this special holiday where you know the pilgrims and the indians got together for me it's just that morning is is sunrise time we do the sunrise gathering the sunrise ceremony other parts of the year as well um but for this ceremony if anyone out there is listening and is not familiar um we get up when it's dark time in the morning four or five in the morning and we get together and we pray and um, we get dressed in, in our regalia, our traditional clothes for dance. And we have singers that come and sing for us and we dance, we sing, we pray together as community and we dance until that sunrise comes up. And then um, after we all change and back into our clothes and put our regalia away where it goes, we have a meal together. And so we share food we share that time with one another we share the dancing and the praying and the songs and then we go home and we go off on our day yeah um for me you know when i was growing up we had a lot of family that lived with us um i lived in a house with uh, my grandparents my parents my auntie some of my uncles and their family and so for us every meal was like thanksgiving you know we we share laughter, we, we joke and tease each other, we have food. Um, but I think it's it's important for people out there that do celebrate Thanksgiving to just remember that, you know, this holiday is a little bit different in our view. You know, we might include traditional food, you know, so it goes to decolonizing our diet and eating more traditional foods. Um, I'm seeing a lot more people starting to take more time to learn how to gather and process acorn, which is really powerful because that was one of our staple foods as Pomo people and a lot of other tribes also. And I think it's, it's really, it makes me happy and it makes me proud to see other young people like myself wanting to learn. And so even in the schools that I work in, I work with probably six or seven different school groups um, all different types of the, the month. And for the last two or three weeks, we've been talking about acorn. We went out and gathered acorn. 
Um, one day we were just cracking the acorn and, and looking at the meat inside and, you know, talking about why this is so important. And I think it's made the young people that I work with kind of like, wow, like this is a lot of work. And we only gathered a little bit and just teaching them, you know, we were always gathering this food for the next season, you know, because it has to have time for the tannin to be taken out of the acorn so it's safe for us to eat. And that, you know, whatever you're gathering was usually for that year after. Same thing how we do with a lot of our basket material, because our basket material usually holds a lot of water. And so it usually takes six months to a year for that basket material to kind of cure and be uh, usable for us to weave with. And so it's the same thing with acorn, you know, and for me, that goes back to kind of how I was talking about. You know, our elders ho- always had us in mind. You know, I never knew my great grandma or my great grandpa, and they were very traditional people. And even though they didn't know me, they had me in mind because a lot of the traditions like beadwork, basket weaving, dancing, language skipped my grandpa and it skipped my dad, but I was able to get a lot of it back and I'm able to do beadwork with my dad. When I go and gather pine cones for pine nuts, my dad goes with me and we pick together and we process things together. When my grandpa was alive, I would sit with him and I would teach him words in our language because he had Alzheimer's and um, other um, health issues that kind of messed up his memory. And so, you know, even though that kind of feels backward, you know, we would expect to get those teachings from our elders. You know, we're we're powerful. Our generation is powerful. And, you know, we, we come from greatness. We come from strength. And so we have to not just acknowledge it, but take hold of it. We might not know everything, but just knowing a little bit, that's a start to knowing more and learning more. And when we know stuff, we have to teach it because that's how we can pass it on. And other people can pass it on if they learn it from us. So, you know, just being able to pass down things like beadwork or just things like this, just sharing a little, a little knowledge or just sharing a conversation, you know, you never know what you're going to pick up. You never know what you're going to learn when you just sit and listen sometimes. And I think that's a, a thing I really took for granted growing up because I grew up mostly with my grandpa and all of his brothers and sisters. And I had cousins, but a lot of them were a lot older than me. So I always had elders And my grandpa's older brother, my uncle, told me when I was little, you know, when elders are talking, don't talk over them. Try to sit and listen because whatever they're going to say, even if it's a joke or, you know, they're talking, talking mess, talking to each other like that. um, You never know what you're going to pick up when you just sit and listen to them. And so I try to do the same now. And I try to teach that to my younger family. You know, if you have questions, you know, look at your aunties, look at your grandmas, your grandpas, your older siblings, you know, just know that there's always people around you that are going to teach you things. And it's good that we want to ask questions because that's how we're going to learn, you know. Exactly. You're absolutely right. And when I went home, I I sat down with my aunt and she was just reading off a couple of words from a paper she had. And it was it felt amazing. It felt so good to hear that 
and me and my mom were sitting there with her and she was she was saying them and then we'd repeat them right afterwards and it just felt like so amazing because you know my aunt my mom and then me there it just felt like it just felt right and then she gave me a clock actually with are the numbers one through 12 and it has the the saying or how to say it underneath in the pomo language and it's amazing that, that like like you said like times like right now we're sharing with each other and i learned i learned so much from each of these each of these episodes or each of these interviews that i do from each person and i i, I want to take that and apply these to my everyday life Definitely. yeah because it's hearing from people like you and your experiences and in the way you're, you're teaching and the way you want to pass it on is definitely how i want to learn you know because growing up i didn't always like you said like you would want to listen to your uncles you would want to listen to your aunts i didn't always do that i always you know thought i knew it all or you know you're not saying the right things i i i know this or whatever you know and in hindsight yeah. i wish i did learn more things but i mean you know life's not over we can still learn we can still do things and when you were saying about um teasing each other at the dinner table i want to bring that into this podcast as well because i think people need to see the native humor they need to see the the jokes oh yeah because it's <laughs> constant it's a constant just back and forth with, with it it's a constant there's a constant laugh going on there's a constant you know every giggle there's a constant somebody's hitting you because they're laughing too hard you know what i mean um <laughs> and they need to see it more than just reservation dogs because that's an amazing show and it's an amazing represent representation of who we are but yeah they need to see actual people and and you know yeah. and those people are actual people too but like the wider perspective than, than just actors you know and it's amazing that it, it's creating a platform for like things like this to happen so people can reach out and learn and who knows who can see who will see this episode and learn from you or want to follow you or want to get stuff from your shop or whatever you know and I, that's my main goal in this podcast is to promote artists like you people like you on the front lines actively doing activism for the land back for their tribe for their people and that's amazing and I love that you're out there collecting things for your art. That's so amazing. Collecting pine oak, right? Pine nuts. Pine nuts. Pine nuts. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Like people need to understand the process that needs to go that goes into your jewelry and they need to understand mm -hmm. that this is, this is hard work and they, the, they need to pay for this amazing work or trade for this amazing work. I give it up to you because that's amazing. I love your artwork and I can't wait to, for more more of, of you you know what i mean um because i see everything you're doing i on the internet and i just love to to support you know and that's all the questions that i had and uh, i know we talked about bringing up mmiw definitely wanted to have you bring that up and um yeah and there's a couple names that you wanted to talk about so for sure um talk about those names. yeah yeah so um you know a, a little bit of what i do also is just try to kind of help promote the awareness, what we call the awareness of MMIW. And MMIW is the acronym for Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women. Um, this is a pretty big issue going around a lot of our Native communities, Indigenous communities. Although it's for the missing and murdered women, it happens to our men as well. And just like things around domestic violence, and, and things like rape and abuse, you know, a lot of that awareness is mostly around our women, but 
again, you know, we have to remember that this happens to our men too. And it happens at all ages. You know, it happens, unfortunately, to our youth, you know, our adults and elders as well. And so I just want to to raise awareness of that. Nicole Smith is a woman up up on our coast, you know, coastal Pomo, who was murdered um, a few years back. And um, her case was never solved fully. Um, so that is, I believe, considered an an active case. And so, um, yeah. And then um, Khadijah Britton, she is still missing. She's been missing over three years now. And she comes from my valley in Round Valley. And, you know, just like a lot of our, our women that this happens to, our men that this happens to, these are parents, sometimes grandparents. This is someone's niece, nephew, brother, sister, mom, dad, you know, and it's important that we say their names, you know, we keep their spirit alive. And for people who, you know, for whatever reason may have forgotten that this happens and is continuing to happen, you know, just being aware, reminding people of why we need to talk about these things. Yes, it's hard to talk about, but, you know, we have to be that spokesperson sometimes for these people, for these families. I just want to share too for anyone who wants updates and more information on some of the movements, some of the resources for families that are dealing with these types of situations. Um, there's an organization based here in California called Sovereign Bodies Institute. They have a lot of really good resources. I know for missing people, they have a form that you can fill out with that person's information and they'll help create a flyer um, to help raise awareness that that person is missing, um, which a lot of people do do in the community. And there's also um, services that can help with more legal things that are going on. So definitely a good resource. If you can't use it, um, just helping other people be aware of that. And that Sovereign Bodies Institute, they do have a website um, and they also have social media. So here on Instagram, on Facebook, they post a lot of flyers for people who pass on and also for active missing people. And it's good that we have this resource through social media because we have that option to share and to post to our stories and to send it to other people. Yeah. And so that is one of the ways we are able to use social media to help spread the word of things like this happening. Absolutely. And and those two names, I I, I remember them. Um, I remember uh, Khadijah from high school. She was an amazing basketball player. And yeah, th those two names are two names I for sure want to push um, for people to know their stories as much as I can in every chance that I get. And I try to say their names every every podcast. And that's just a, a that's just two names in a long list of of names, you know, in a long list of names that we don't even know how many exist. So everyone, please, if you're um, following or listening, please go follow those pages that she just mentioned. Um, please go listen to their stories. Please go listen to who they were. You know, um, there's Facebook pages for Khadijah. There's I think there might be I don't know if there's one for Nicole. There's definitely ways um, to learn about these women and learn their stories and learn about who they were. And um, mm -hmm. Bernadette is is pushing every like as much as she can um, for her sister's story to be heard. 
this is a huge topic for me. I, I definitely want to push as much as, as I can because it's ridiculous that so many women are going missing and we want to continue our, you know, our people. We want to continue everything. You know, we want to continue the life of Native American people. We want to continue the bloodlines. And this is a way of, uh, you know, not helping us find these women. This is a fine way of, you know, kind of silen silencing us and not allowing us to be heard, you know, and it's un unfortunate that the media doesn't, doesn't think about us, doesn't really, doesn't put our stories out there. And it's very unfortunate, you know. And I think, you know, when, when we look at, um, I know for a lot of people, I'm a part of a, I think it's for, for Facebook, a, a group chat that sends out different information for actively missing people. And so the flyers will come through on that on that feed and they were saying a lot of the people on that page were really upset um, hearing about, I can't remember her last name, Maddie something. She was a non-native woman that uh, went missing and there was huge news coverage. There was, she was like on the front page of a bunch of magazines and a lot of the grocery stores in, in the state that she was in. And um, someone in our group spoke up and said, you know, in that same state where this woman went went missing, over 20 other women from the Native community in that same place, the same thing was happening to them and not one person knew knew a name. Yeah. Not one person knew a family member. They had no news coverage. They weren't on a magazine. Nobody knew who they were. It was just like, you know, gone, poof. And so, you know, that really touched my heart because before I was really, you know, actively looking into cases and just wanting to educate myself on families that go through this, people who are survivors of being trafficked, you know, people who are survivors of domestic violence. Um, this is all within the same movement. You know, if you're a survivor of these things, you know, this is a space where you can share your story and this is a space where you can speak up and help be an advocate for someone else that is going through that same struggle that you may have gone through and you know again it is it's a sensitive topic and it's hard to hear these stories but just like you had mentioned it's important that we listen to their stories and that we hear what those people had to go through or what the families are going through I couldn't imagine how Khadijah's parents feel and grandparents feel, her cousins, sisters, brothers, everybody yeah. in the community because the valley is not that big. And to have someone just go missing, it is hard to wrap your brain around. Same thing for Pointerina. Absolutely. It's not too big. When we look at, you know, small cities like Santa Rosa, or when we look at like the town of Windsor or Hillsburg, you know, these are rural, you know, more, more city like, but, you know, when we look at the res, it's, it's pretty small, you know, and to think that there's so many people that experience this and no one's talking about it. And so even though it's uncomfortable, you have to push yourself through that, that uncomfortableness because for us, just like, sharing right now, there may be people out there who don't know anything about um, MMIW and the work that people are doing in different communities to help raise awareness. And there are a lot of events where we gather places like Sacramento and San Francisco that 
we gather and wear our red skirts in honor of missing and murdered indigenous women and the men, all relatives, you know, this, this is a big issue for the LGBTQ plus community as well. Um, and then native community will often refer to those relatives as being two spirited. This is an issue for them as well. Um, and I just am really grateful to be able to share um, these information, these resources. I just feel that we should all have the ability to be informed about these things. And whatever you do with the information is is up to you. But I think that for me, it's my obligation to share the resources and just help spread that word of what is going on in our communities. Because I feel that the more aware we are, the more accountable we can hold people and the more accountable we can be. Because I know for me, like a lot of my little cousins are like my nieces and my nephews, you know, I don't have children. And so a lot of them are like my children. And I just am always trying to be diligent in trying to help educate and just make them aware you know, the the whole, you know, don't talk to strangers yeah. and don't just give out your number, you know, don't reach out to people over uh, social media or games that you can chat and stuff. It's just, we have to be able to teach them how to be smart. So they have those skills to be safe. And hopefully they tell their friends or they tell their siblings how to stay safe and just be accountable for each other, check in with each other and um, just make sure that we can all keep each other safe because a lot of the time our community, that's our family, you know, whether we know each other or not really know each other, you know, we're all connected in, in some way. And so we have to do our part to keep each other safe and to watch out for one another. Absolutely. Man, this was such a great conversation. I'm so happy that I had you come on today. Thank you so much for coming on, and I learned so much from you. You really spoke some amazing words, and I'm definitely going to take that to me with me into the future for sure. Thank you, and you know, I just want to encourage everybody to just be yourself. You know, remember where you come from, know who you come from, know your people, because that's who we are. That's that's our strength. That's our resilience. You know, and. Our elders and our ancestors went through so much for us to just be here today. And there's so much to be grateful for. I know with COVID and other things, you know, there's certain points in, you know, our youth fell off and, you know, the whole thing, like a lot of our reservations have been touched by fentanyl and other, all kinds of things. You know, a lot of our communities are touched by suicide and drug and alcohol problems. But, you know, at the end of the day, when we come together and we gather and we have ceremony or we just make time to be with each other as a community, we're each other's strength. We lift each other up and we have to remember that, you know, as much as the world can weigh down on us individually or, or just as families, you know, we got to remember that we have that ability to be each other's strength and lift each other up. And we got to start doing that more. Absolutely. I I 100% agree. We need to start sharing each other's art. We need to start sharing each other's stuff and and promoting each other more. And um, I absolutely 100% agree. And thank you again for coming on. I super appreciate it. Thank you. Blessings. Have a good night. You too. Thank you. (laughs) 
And don't forget to follow us on Instagram, subscribe to us on YouTube, or email us at burnthewagon1492 at gmail.com.